This is On Top of the Mount with Darren Waddles. Special thanks to Charles Dyson Sr.'s surviving children, Charles Dyson Jr., Nan Pamer, Kenny Dyson, Marlene Gleason, and Kim Dyson for allowing this podcast to record these priceless family treasures and great apostolic literary works as No Continuing City and Actions Are Weighed. Not only will this audiobook podcast be a memorial to my great-grandfather's legacy in the church and in the Pentecostal movement in Arkansas, but I would like to also dedicate the series to his jewel in life and our beloved grandmother, Marcella Dyson. No Continuing City by Charles R. Dyson Chapter 6 Rebellion Against Discipline And he called the name of that place Kibroth-Hatava, because there they buried the people that lusted. Numbers 11.34 To those most blessed hangs the greatest curse. Israel had seen its greatest victories and now finds itself in its greatest defeat. This was a storm of their own making, a storm caused by rebellion. For the first time in their great generation, God makes himself known as a God of wrath. This warning is reflected all too often throughout every dispensation and is made known to us in the book of Hebrews. How shall we escape if we neglect much less rebel against so great a salvation. This is the same God who is touched by their feeble cries in bondage. Slaves to Pharaoh, the hard taskmaster of Egypt, they were when the Lord delivered them out of their afflictions. Slaves they were, who had been in bondage 400 years and could not discern their right hand from their left. For all this, the wisdom of God purposed them to be his chosen people and a great nation. God did not lead them out of Egypt into the wilderness to give them the desires of their hearts. This experience was never intended to be a picnic and a social gathering. This was never intended to be a vacation on which they could lay in their tents and fatten their loins with high-caloried delicacies. God was not concerned as to whether they were connoisseurs of highly seasoned food that palated their likes and or dislikes. They were led into this desert on a bivouac to be disciplined, trained, to lead a new life, all things were to become new. They were to learn that the way up was down, that to become jointed they had to get unjointed, that there was no compatibility between the ways of God and the ways of Pharaoh. Appetites of Egypt and the appetites of Canaan were poles apart. This host of rabble with its mixed multitudes controlled by a slave spirit, 
could never carry the emblem of God with a banner in the forefront waving out to all pagans the name of the Lord. If they could not control their desires, how could they control themselves? They would be like an unwalled city. Their spirits had become slaves to the spirit of Egypt. How could they ever conquer Canaan when, if ever, could they possess that had been given them? We get here a hint of their weakness as we read that they avoided the land of the Philistine, though that was a nearer way. There was a distance of something like 400 miles from Egypt to Canaan, a distance no farther than from Little Rock, Arkansas to St. Louis, Missouri, or the distance from Little Rock to Dallas, Texas. It took God one night to get them out of Egypt, but it took him 40 years to get Egypt out of them. They could have easily covered the distance in 40 days, but rebellion prolonged them 40 years. Rebellion against discipline. In simple words, rebellion against discipline meant opposing God's plan and their nature, their talents, their wills, and their means. Rebellion obstructed, hindered, halted, and stopped the progress of God. The Lord alone led them out of Egypt and delivered them from the onslaught of Pharaoh. God alone rolled back the waters and led them through on dry ground. He alone furnished streams in the desert to this host who would have died of thirst. No one but the Lord could clothe the multitude in royal attire which waxed not old during a forty-year journey. When they were hungered, he feasted them with his heavenly menu. He gave them angels' food. His goal was to bring them from slavery to their own inheritance, a land that flowed with milk and honey. In the process of training, he was teaching them to avoid occupational hazards. In order to occupy the promised land, they had to be delivered from a slave spirit that fettered them. Suddenly, a murmur in the camp signals resentment to a better life, a cleaner life, an excited life, a freer life, and a holy life in fellowship with God and angels. With a bountiful supply of manna spread before the camp each morning for their convenience, a rebellious complaining commences. Cannot God furnish us meat? The more he did for them, the less it was appreciated, because they ate God's menu, manna. There was no sickness for forty years, and not one feeble person was found among them. Not one had a common cold, nor was a toothache or headache known. Instead of disciplining themselves to a better way of life and being thankful, they took a complaining spirit that later revolted into open rebellion against everything good. Thus, to this gracious donor of every good and perfect gift, they said, 
Would to God we would have died in Egypt, for our soul is dried up within us because of this manna, and we crave the flesh pots of Egypt. They would not discipline themselves to pallet angels' food. Those chili eaters wanted the onions, the leeks, the garlic of Egypt. Human nature changes little from generation to generation. And in every age, there are men whose vision of life is no higher than this multitude's. Prior to this, Lot showed the same spirit, a vision no higher than a cow's. The well-watered plains of Sodom. There seems to be all around us, even now, those who have no real desire to leave baser appetites of this world, despite the fact that this same God goes out of his way to these people, affording them a better way. It is not so bad that this multitude was born in a prison house, but it becomes tragic indeed when they no longer desire to be free. There certainly is an allowance for being in rebellion against an evil discipline, but to be against a good one is inexcusable. The heathen of darkest Africa today is still in slavery and bondage to ignorance and superstition, but the Americans have been enlightened and afforded a chance of repentance and as a whole, they have openly rebelled against holiness and a born-again experience provided in Acts 2.38. They could read this verse and not believe it. They could memorize this verse and disobey it. They could collaborate this verse and be in open rebellion to it. The heathen knows no higher law by which to be disciplined nor from which to rebel. The knowledge of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ has been brought to us. The promised land has been made known to us. We can be in rebellion against the discipline of God. The heathen cannot. All our life is thus placed in a desert of discipline in this world to get us ready for the next. Our bodies thus become living sacrifices, which is best are only reasonable offerings. No environment gives permission to rebel against the discipline of the Lord. No matter what the environment, though you live in a palace without a disciplined heart, you may, with no discipline, you know which one would change the quicker. With no discipline, there can be no praying. No discipline, no repentance. No discipline, no tearing. No discipline, no holiness. No discipline, no church. No discipline, no God. These Israelites were rebels without a cause, and yet there was a cause for the rebellion. And the taste of it was as the taste of fresh oil. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. Numbers 11, 8 through 9. And the manna from heaven tasted like fresh oil. This gives us a hint of what caused the trouble. Fresh oil tastes. A taste contrary to the flesh 
they preferred slavery and bondage to the fresh oil diet. God wanted it to taste different. They were in training. They could have easily made it taste like banana pudding, but they were being disciplined to conquer the giants of the Amorites. The biggest giant they would ever face was the giant of desire, who then, in their presence, was not only changing them, but also taking them into captivity. Taste of fresh oil. Taste of garlic. Two choices, and they chose garlic. Two worlds, and they chose the present one. Egypt or Canaan, and they chose Egypt. Freeman or bondman, and they chose to be bondmen. Security or destruction, and they chose destruction. Eternal life or death, and they chose death. This was the purpose of their desert journey. To get them accustomed to something to which they were unaccustomed. They had to be changed. All right, God, when? They had to be made new completely. All past life had to be changed. New life, new desires, new motives. Old slave Israel had to become new free Israel, pliable in the hands of God, or there would be no hope of residence in the promised land. Either they could be led or left dead. All things had become new. Judgment hung in the balance. Such a small thing. You would hardly think such a change of taste would throw grown men into an uproar. They wept for the taste of meat. Such a beggarly portion upon which to feed an immortal soul. Yet, 600,000 men stood in the door of their tents and wept for meat, abhorring the fresh oil taste of angels' food. Two voices called to them. They heard the loudest. The human mind has proven to be capable of doing almost anything, but of the many things it was the capacity of doing. It is most capable of dreaming illusions. The multitude of Israelites had made up their minds that their souls were dying within them because they had no meat. By obeying fresh oil discipline, their journey would have been shorter. Instead, their dead carcasses marked 40 years of wandering. This fresh oil discipline was the breeding place for real men, Joshua and Caleb. From the toughening process of the fresh oil taste, men's resolutions could be tempered into steel. It would have chartered the uncharted route through the desert wilderness. Discipline still charts the way today. Obedience to God's discipline never leaves one in the desert tents of despair. When your sensitive will is ruffled, do not forget. This may be the fresh oil taste God is sending your way. When sunny days cloud or long nights lengthen in search of dawn, it may be fresh oil discipline. This 
is God's fundamental principle in training human nature. What seems to be God's cruelty actually turns out to be God's love. I know of a church assembly which lost its faithful leader of many years. Within a week, it had lost its church building that had occupied from its beginning. This seems by man's reasoning a cruel fate by the very God who seems a sparrow when it falls to the ground. I remember quite well how many stood in the door of their tents, as it were, and wept bitterly. Many could hardly see fit to move the church from the old landmark, but because of building codes and restrictions, the church was forced to move. God's manna tasted like fresh oil to them, and the morning commenced in the camp. The plans of God were temporarily threatened. Happily, this group disciplined themselves to their new diet. The following weeks, God sent them one of the finest leaders the kingdom of God could afford. The following months, God gave them the best building site their city possessed and a fine sanctuary that any community would be proud to own. That seemed to be the cruelty of God was actually the blessing of God. We are all on a journey. Life is a journey. Obedience to God's plan will make the journey glad. Disobedience will make it sad. Curse of Rebellion Nothing takes more out of a man than rebellion. It is one of the most expensive luxuries. We also belittle ourselves and breed our own troubles when rebellion fills our hearts. Rebellion dries up the soul and destroys peace of mind. It sets up its own poison and finally poisons itself. The prophet Samuel warns in these words, Obedience is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. The rebel brings the curse of God. Suddenly, God answers the complaining and murmuring multitude of Israel. For a moment, it looks as if God agreed with them, and he will amend his plans to meet their grievances. But God will never fit into man's plans. It looks as if the gripers and grumblers have won their point. The heavens began raining quail the finest and the best meat this earth affords. It literally rained quail until the ground was covered a day's journey on each side of the camp, two cubits high. This is 16 miles across and three feet deep. Everyone had meat now and plenty of it. The greedy grab was on. This multitude who had allowed the image in their mind to alienate their welfare now hastily began the preparation of the meat. Now it is ready, and those unthankful hands reach for it. Those unthankful mouths open to receive it. They bite, but every muscle in their jaw freezes. Their eyes cross and close. They become limp and reach no more. And while the flesh was yet between their teeth, ear, it was chewed, 
the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. And he called the name of that place Kibroth Hatavah, because there they buried the people that lusted. Numbers eleven thirty three through 34. How could they have become so self-centered after so many miracles experienced? How many denominational churches are there today that feel sufficient without the leading of the Spirit? For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Romans 8.14 Many churches in their humble beginnings lived in the Spirit, worshipped in the Spirit, and were led in the Spirit with true holiness. Today, the two words, holiness and worldliness, are not found in their vocabulary. Possibly, the word holiness is used on occasion as a slur. They might call it maturity by feeling sufficient without the Spirit of God, but I call it rebellion. They may call it maturity by shedding the skin of emotionalism, but I call it the curse of rebellion. Like Samson, they wist not that the Spirit has departed from them. They have observed lying vanities and have become cursed. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Jonah 2.8 There are those who preach about his Spirit, but are in open rebellion as to men receiving his spirit. Somewhere along their journey, the spirit of rebellion has obtained the controlling stock of their corporation. They lie in spirituality, bankruptcy, and Satan is the trustee. They have wept, but no tears. They have wept, but have not mourned. God has piped, but they have not danced. Dear God, to be cursed until you no longer have an appetite for the gifts of the Spirit, until your life's desires require the worldliness of Egypt. These will stand at the wailing wall of all that has been lost, with no tears at all. When Israel was obedient to his leading, signs and wonders followed them. Signs still followed people who refused to rebel. The Lord had to raise up a new generation whose looking and longing was not backward to the bondage from which they were led. We can therefore curse ourselves by asking God to give us our own way. They lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert, and he gave them their request, but sent leanness into the soul. Psalms 106, 14-15 Somewhere, sometime, something leavened this multitude. Like one bad apple in a basket or one bad potato in a sack, the bunch had be began to spoil. I rather suspect the measure of leaven could be found in the mixed multitude that came out of Egypt. All ages seemed to have their mixed multitudes who turned their generation against the Lord. They seemed to measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves 
and by so doing court catastrophe. They have mixed emotions. They have mixed desires. They have divided hearts. They have divided wills. In short, they are mixed up. They discern not carnality from spirituality. The mixed multitude sees a God that is dead, and though they talked learnedly on many scriptures, they exposed their pitiful ignorance of all. The curse of rebellion left Cain banished from the presence of the Lord. The curse of rebellion left Lot's wife a pillar of salt. The curse of rebellion left Pharaoh with his mighty army lying dead upon a seashore. The curse of rebellion left Korah and his mixed-up followers swallowed up by the bowels of the earth. The curse of rebellion left Balaam dead with the unrighteous. The curse of rebellion left Israel's first king demon-possessed. And the curse of rebellion eventually left Israel lost in Babylonian captivity. This great company of people whose God struck fear in the hearts of all nations by disobedience and rebellion invoked his wrath upon themselves until they were wasted away in the wilderness. This company of people who came to God crying lived complaining and died disappointed. Their epitaph reads loud and clear. Keroth Hatava, Rebellion Against Discipline. End of chapter 6. Thank you for listening to this episode of On Top of the Mount. I hope you've enjoyed this audiobook series. If you have any questions or suggestions for future podcasts, please email me at draywaddles at gmail.com or you can add me on social media through Facebook and Instagram, D underscore Ray Waddles. And until next time, you'll be hearing from me on Top of the Mount.